Investors as a whole have become more bullish on the U.S. economic outlook. But what happens if an oil shock enters the mix? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of October 23rd, 2023, and geopolitical risk is back on investors' minds, I think it's safe to say, due to the recent conflict in Israel. And it's raising concerns about the potential destabilization in the region. Now, in some historical cases, such events have resulted in an oil shock or a sudden or extreme spike in oil prices, and we're hearing folks are worried about that. And just to be super clear about this, we have not observed an oil shock as of today, but we are getting a lot of questions about it. So today, Julia Herman, who you just heard, and myself will provide an overview of oil shocks, what they are, how they could tip the economy into a recession, and how investors could think about positioning if that happens. So let's proceed. Julia, when investors think about an oil shock, they're implying that prices are rising. But oil is a volatile market regardless of shocks. So what's the difference between just fluctuations in supply and demand that we see all the time and a real oil shock? So let's take each of those items individually, what a shock looks like in terms of price, and then what causes it. So we consider an oil shock to be when the price of oil exceeds one and a half times its three-year moving average. Since 1970, this has occurred seven times. Okay, one and a half times its three-year moving average. What about the cause of prices moving higher? How does that matter? So you mentioned those normal fluctuations in supply and demand in this global market. And a shock is usually a function of the supply side, namely a sudden reduction in supply, more so than anything to do with demand. It's also interesting to consider that beyond the impact on just oil prices themselves, the market reaction to an oil shock can vary. Stock prices dropped after the 2000 shock, for example, but rose after the 1979 oil shock. Oh, that's interesting. And as you mentioned earlier, the global economy isn't facing one of those shocks right now, but an escalation or broadening of the conflict in Israel, most notably if it were to involve oil producing neighbors, could bring the possibility of oil prices rising, exceeding that psychological threshold of $100 a barrel or moving even into oil shock territory as you have defined it. Allow me just one more aside here. When we look at the history of conflicts involving major oil producers, an oil shock does not result every time. So when we're considering the potential impact of an oil shock in our episode today, we are not saying that number one, escalation is inevitable, or number two, that an oil shock is inevitable in the event of an escalation. So in that case, we're speaking about risks rather than an expectation. So let's follow the risk of an oil shock through the U.S. economy. And the connection points are not 
always linear. Oil shocks in 1973 and 1990, just as a couple examples, acted to tip the U.S. economy into recession. But it was more like a straw that broke the camel's back. The camel being an economy already weakened by tight monetary policy, strict bank lending conditions, and tighter market financial conditions. We've already seen some of those conditions in the U.S. economy today, so it's easy to see how history could rhyme. But it's important to note that those two examples are only two examples and doesn't always happen. So let's talk through how they tend to work their way through the economy. Probably the most linear path through which oil prices can contribute to economic stress and not just in the U.S., but globally, is higher gas and home heating prices, higher energy prices hurting consumers. Say a bit more about that, because the way that energy costs can impact consumption don't tend to be a one-for-one trade-off. Exactly. So to compensate for higher oil prices, households, and here I'd highlight most notably lower-income households or those with lower levels of savings, households often cut back on other purchases, particularly bigger ticket items like cars, furniture. Households might also trade down to cheaper versions of the goods they would normally consume, like hot dogs instead of steaks. We'd call those negative substitutes in economic nerd terms. And those are the goods that do better when the economy weakens. I should say, though, those sorts of trade-offs have already been visible in the economy, arguably since COVID and definitely since inflation has hit the past year and a half or so. So overall, the consumer has still been holding up the U.S. economy. If the consumer begins to cut back, so could economic growth. For any of our New York City residents or others who maybe don't drive or don't pay the price of gas at the pump, I want to just point out that what Julia is saying suggests, and we see this historically, that higher energy prices are paid by everybody. It's not just if you drive, but also the prices you pay at the grocery store, the way you heat your home as we get into winter, all these types of impact to the consumer. So consumer impact check certainly a concern if we were to see an escalation in oil prices. Where else could we see higher energy prices impact the economy? You know we'd be remiss if we didn't connect this back to the rising yield environment that we're in and the fact that market financial conditions are tightening. Real interest rates are already high, suggesting that another tightening factor, so higher energy costs, could help to stifle or slow economic growth. Well, we've been speaking mostly about the economy so far and with some U.S.-driven examples, but everything we've discussed so far today is global in nature. Are there other international impacts with that in mind that we should be looking out for? Higher oil prices can beget further conflict, and they can create specific pockets of stress for oil importers. So when oil prices reach $100 per barrel, major geopolitical events have tended to follow. For example, Iraq invaded Kuwait, Russia attacked Georgia in 2008, and then Crimea in 2013, and then Ukraine in 2022 during price hikes that looked like that. That's really interesting. And when we think about the global economic environment or the global impact of energy prices, there's, of course, more of a pain impact to energy importers, those who are having to pay the price of higher energy compared to exporters. So what major importers could potentially face the most significant supply stress or budget stress if energy becomes more expensive and they have to pay that bill? Europe is still at the top of that list for me. Japan is also a major importer. Then if we look to the emerging world, China is a major importer but has some solid inflows from Russia. I'd say that India could be more subject to oil price swings. 
That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And here's where we get to the playbook part of today's episode. And while it's not our base case, investors concerned about an oil shock have lots of options. This is a playbook or a situation that we have seen play out before in history. Now, Julia, I liked that we framed the fundamental impacts from the most direct to the least direct. So let's follow the same path when we think about investment approaches. What are the most direct things that investors can do if they're worried about an oil shock. Investors can consider overweight exposure to, drumroll please, energy. We like this trade on the fundamental level right now, independent of a shock. Oil and gas producers in general have pretty strong balance sheets, relatively lower fair valuations, and plenty of profitability in our view. And while the upstream, midstream, and downstream producers are profitable at different levels, we tend to say that oil at $60 and above tends to be a sweet spot historically. The second most direct play here would be the broader commodity complex from metals to minerals. Our keenest listeners may note here that when the economy is late in its cycle, commodities and energy are not the classic places to go as economic growth is slowing. But in this case, and we've discussed this a bit before, an economic slowdown with still relevant inflation risks coming from the commodity complex make this a more attractive or potentially more attractive investment idea. Our team has done some work on how to introduce a commodity satellite exposure. We'd normally think of taking about 1% to 7% from equity exposure, depending on risk tolerance. Let's then consider some of the less direct opportunities that could emerge in the event of an oil shock. Julia, we talked a little bit about bonds lately. Bond yields have risen and bonds have sold off recently with the expectation that economic activity will remain robust. So how would an oil shock potentially change that narrative? This is definitely where the impact gets a little bit more non-linear. The first take here would be that higher oil prices begets higher inflation. So we would theoretically need higher yields to address that inflation. But the second step is that higher oil prices eat into consumer demand, as we discussed. This would, in theory, slow the economy, ideally slow inflation as well. And we'd actually be looking at a bond reversal, lower yields and higher bond prices. I love taking that step by step because it shows why we don't go around assigning value judgments to where yields are. Yields rising or falling doesn't necessarily send a clear signal if the economy is good or bad. And for me, the main takeaway is more bond volatility. That's the part that's tough for investors. Any other indirect investment options, though, you want to mention before we close out? Demand for and government investment in renewables and nuclear energy even could potentially benefit from rising oil prices, particularly in the event of a sustained amount of time where oil prices are prohibitively high. But until oil's grip on the global economy lessens, we'd expect to see a continuation of the correlation between the U.S. dollar and oil. So higher oil would likely mean a stronger dollar. Those with major international investment interests can consider full or partial currency hedges. Coming up next, next week is Fed week. So we will continue to monitor the impact of rising bond yields on the economy and markets. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin here with Julia Herman today. See you next time. 
Our podcast today was produced by Milo Benamotz and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investment ideas are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both the service mark and a common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.